0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to the We Podcast, and I'm your host, Sarah Menares. I believe that we all need a space to speak our authentic truth, as well as a space to hear the truths of real and vulnerable people, so that we can better understand that we are not alone. Hearing the experiences of others encourages us to step into the light in our own lives. It is through owning our stories and learning to speak our truth that we are able to grow and rise above the challenges we face and step into the full power of all we were created to be. You will hear many topics discussed in this space with people from all over the world. We hope that you feel welcomed into a community of growth and that this space will invite you to uncover the absolute greatness that is already inside of you. Oh, and don't forget, check out all the We Podcast episodes as well as the Spot blog over at thewespot.com. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hey girl, it's me. You're listening to episode number 71, Redeeming Destiny. In this episode, I get to talk with Angela Booker. Angela lives in the Pacific Northwest and is a wife and mom of three wild and beautiful girls. She has only just discovered her love for writing in the last two years. She just released her first book called Redeeming Destiny, Dancing into Unexpected Truth. Destiny was her stage name and it is a memoir about her previous life that was layered with drug addiction and really broken choices. She was 27 years old by the time she finally made her way out of that lifestyle. Since then, she has been on a journey of discovery about herself, life, and the creator of all things good. Her mission in life is to raise her girls as strong, independent, non-conforming women who chase their dreams and believe in themselves and the goodness of God towards them. She also wants to release others from the shame that so often clouds our perception of who we are. She believes our biggest weaknesses are really our greatest strengths and that there is nothing, not one thing that we can do to separate us from love, which is her favorite word for Jesus. Faith is not about following all the rules. It's about following the desires of your heart, your dreams, and the quiet little whisper from within. I can tell you that you're absolutely going to love this episode. I can't wait for you to hear all of the goodness that Angela has to share. So here we go. Let's dive in. Here is my interview with Angela. This episode of the Wee Podcast, I am super excited to have the amazing Angela Booker here with me to chat about some amazing things that I know. I know some about you because of your book, and because we have chatted behind the scenes about our similarities as far as our stories and. And the vulnerability level of our books go. And Angela is also a, contri- a contributing writer for the WeSpot blog. So I'm super excited to dive in with you, Angela, in a deeper way and get to the nitty gritty with you because I know that you are a nitty gritty kind of person, which is my favorite. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. We got connected. How did we get connected?
1: I was a part of Hope Writers and oh, yes, um, yeah, one of your other writers posted that you guys um, were looking for contributors.
0: So I thought, oh, hey, I'll just try this out. So you applied to be a contributor and then we brought you onto the team and then you and I just started chatting, and then I think you got my book, and we were like, holy moly, like, we need to have a conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah, because there are very few people in my life at this point who, like, I married a police officer, and, and, you know, everybody in my, in my circle is so supportive, and baby, (laughs) excluding my family but (laughs) (laughs) I don't Mm -hmm. know there's still a lot of key healing that needs to happen so I think that was the hardest part about writing the book you know you don't want to hurt people that you love and that you have long since forgiven but the story still needs to be told Mm -hmm. just kind of walking through that kind of stuff has been challenging
0: Yeah, I can completely identify with you on that and how scary it is to put it out there, especially when there are people who are going to be upset by your truth and and what you have to say that makes it really difficult. Yeah. Well, let's dive in more to your story. I know. So your book is called Redeeming Destiny dancing into unexpected truth and i have read the first couple of chapters and i can tell you that i was like oh my gosh i have so much to do i have to put this down but definitely wanted to keep going it sucked me in from the beginning and i'm excited to hear from you uh you know the the condensed version but then also be able to go and read the extended version in your book later on. Okay, it all starts out with a very major event that happened in your life that seems like it kind of colored the the rest of how things unraveled. Everything. Uh, my mom was
1: brutally either murdered or accidentally murdered. We're not, not really sure. Still, this at this point. And so at five years old, I was told in a way that brought no comfort, no reassurance. And I had decided then and there that the world was a very unsafe place. I remember thinking that in my little almost five-year-old mind. And so my dad was raised, uh, was left to raise me and my two older brothers he had his own pain own trauma surrounding the situation and my dad is kind of a hard man anyways he grew up in the old days on a farm you know you worked and you did what you were supposed to do and his dad was really hard on him and and so there just wasn't a connection with my dad ever Mm -hmm. he was still my hero he was my everything um and so fast forward a couple of years, my dad met another woman and she had a couple of daughters and they dated for quite a while. And they finally got married when I was in the eighth grade. Uh, there was quite a bit of alcohol in her home, but I don't remember. I don't remember it ever being bad until maybe I was old enough to recognize it. I'm not sure. Mm. There was an altercation With my dad, you know, there's two pivotal moments in my life. My mom's death, and then my dad, I don't know if I would say abusing. He just went into a blind rage. It was the first time my dad had ever hurt me in such a way. Uh, But it was such a delicate age also that it turned me inside out. And it just re-traumatized me from my mom's death. Um, I always felt really unloved. Uh, we grew up in a home uh, that was chaos. Mm-hmm. We were expected to be a certain way. And, and when we didn't meet that standard, punishment ensued. And so that sets in really deep stuff inside a child's heart that I'm not worthy. I'm worthy of punishment. The night my dad, I guess, assaulted me Nothing was the same after that. Yet, the next day I went to school, I had bruises all over my face. I was entered into the foster care system immediately. Mm. I ended up going back home, and everything just got 10,000 times worse. You know, we didn't know what to do with our anger. And in our family structure, the only people that were allowed to be angry were my parents. And so I didn't know what to do with all of my emotions. I had no idea.
0: Hmm. How um, long were you in foster care?
1: The first time I was in foster care, just for about three days. I went back home because I got scared, and the next three years until I was a a junior in high school, it was it was kind of hell on earth. Sarah, my dad and my stepmom fought all the time. Us kids were caught in the middle of it. Alcoholism was rampant and our home so in the middle of my junior year I finally went into foster care and you know by that time you know I, I talk about it in the book the first altercation with my dad you know I always wanted to be daddy's little girl but after that I wanted to show my dad what daddy's little devil could look like and so I just went into all-out rebellion from that point on and mm-hmm my parents were losing control, and I was out of control, and our whole family it was an upheaval, and we lived in a small town, so everybody knew our business. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so that just added to everything. And then I entered the foster care system full-time, the middle of my junior year, uh, and that was hard. My dad mm. and my mom, my stepmom, they completely disowned me. And so in my young mind, I thought, oh, I just, we just need a break from each other. We just need to be able to work this out from a, a safe distance to where we weren't hurting each other all the time. The most influential woman in my life was one of my foster moms. <laughs> no matter what I did, Sarah, no matter what I did to push the boundaries or to test her love, she'd never gave up on me. And she mm-hmm. somehow in, inherently knew that what I needed was not more punishment. And she loved on me. She was the first person that ever showed me complete, unconditional love. By that time, it was it was a little late. I was kind of already on my path. And, you know, I was introduced to methamphetamines when I was a senior in high school, living in her home from family members. And it scared the daylights out of me. So I went back home, home and... I told her everything, and and I went into treatment, like an outpatient teen treatment, and I was doing amazing. I felt loved. I I knew I had a promising future. I felt safe for one of the first times in my life with Donna, and there are very few times in my life where I felt really safe, and she was one of those safe places for me. Mm-hmm. Just before I graduated from high school. The state told her that I would not be allowed to stay with her because they needed the beds. And that brought up all kinds of abandonment issues in me and all kinds of powerlessness, really. Like I was completely powerless over my own life and everybody was always making decisions for me. And so three days after I graduated, I got high on meth again. And my whole life from that time on was literally just chaos and and re-traumatization. And I left her home at a really, really young age. I hung out with very hardened criminals. I learned how to survive, essentially. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That, of course, turned bad. And I think I was 18 when I started dancing. You know, I met a girl who was a dancer and she was beautiful. Like Sarah, she was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. And I thought, oh, I even say it in the book. I wanted to be beautiful too. I wanted to feel beautiful.
0: Hmm. When well, you also needed to support yourself probably. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you started dancing at what age were you? 18. Okay. So how long did you dance that because that's where the title of your book comes from right I danced for 10 years from the
1: time I was I guess a little less than 10 years from the time I was 18 until I was 27 you know at first it really it gave me a sense of power that I had always been looking for in the world it gave me power a sense of power over men it gave me a sense of control over my life. Um, but it also stole a small piece of my soul every single day. And the longer I was in that environment, uh, the more detrimental things became. Mm. And not just for me, you know, I, I watched it happen with a lot of the girls. They would come in very sweet, very innocent. And, you know, the longer they were there. Uh, and, you know, I don't really have, I don't have any preconceived judgments. About dancing necessarily it it gave me a, it gave me adventure Sarah it gave you know it helped me to travel the world it it did all kinds of things but even though I felt power over men I still had to rely on men for money <laughs> if that makes mm-hmm. any sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the dancers there really became family mm-hmm. you know
0: they were imagine. the only family that I had and and we stuck together. Yeah, I can imagine that would be a tight-knit group.
1: Cuz nobody else in the world really understood us or what we did, and so we we had each other.
0: So at this point were you still using drugs or what happened with that?
1: Well, I had stopped meth for quite a while. I still smoked pot a little bit. I I didn't drink very much because I grew up in an alcoholic home. Mm-hmm. But I you know the accessibility in a strip club for drugs is endless. Mm. So there were always bouts and seasons of different types of drugs. You know, I, we went to Las Vegas quite a bit, and and that's when I actually really started drinking a lot. Uh, I came home from Las Vegas one time, and my and my roommate uh, had met somebody from the Mexican mafia and we started doing crack for months and months and months on end. And it was horrifying. I I look back on that part of my life and I think that was probably one of the worst just because it, it's such a, a weird, strange drug, but all throughout on and off, on and off, I would go through phases um, and then I would quit and then, you know, I would just get so sick of my of my life that i would go through a short season of not doing any drugs but they were always very short in between
0: so what do you think because we know now like we can look back and the hindsight's always crystal clear right <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> but we're in, when we're in it not so much looking back to yourself at that point what do you think you were trying to fill or what do you think was your motivation for for it all at that point
1: man sir I was just I was so lost I didn't have family I found family in the strip club you know I've always been kind of a curious person and so
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> pretty you know present me with a with something new and I was I was going to try it, but also just running, running away from myself, always running away from myself and from my own inner turmoil. Whether he caused my mom's death or not didn't matter. He had allowed it. And, you know, growing up, we went to like Christmas service and Easter service, Uh, but this God that they talked about that was good or. I had never experienced that God, and I had no interest in anything that he was offering. Even Mm -hmm. though looking back on my life, I can see that he was there every second of the way, protecting me, and leading me, and guiding me, and just being present with me, even in my mess.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah, man, I can identify with that. (laughs) (laughs) like looking back on some of the stuff I did and like thinking yeah there's no way I was in that by myself because uh, there's no reason for me to have gotten through it (laughs) so fast forward
1: just a little bit I at the age of 21 I met the love of my life quite by surprise and i Typically, I quit doing all drugs. I mean, I still smoke pot, but I didn't really consider that to be a drug then. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was happy for the first time in my life. I was so happy and I was so full and fulfilled. And I felt loved. Like this man adored me and I knew it. And I adored him. Um, Mm -hmm. Fatefully, we got pregnant and. I was devastated. I didn't know what to do. As soon as we left the doctor, I went to my foster mom's, and the first words out of her mouth were, get an abortion. And somewhere inside of me, Sarah, like something was telling me, every child is a gift from God. And I don't even know where I learned that. I don't know where that thought even came from, but not one person believed in us. Not one person believed in our luck. Not even us. We didn't believe that we were strong enough to handle something like that. And, uh, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh, we went into Planned Parenthood. Steve stayed out in the car and I went in and You know, we sat in this little room, I was talking to the counselor and I just looked at her and I said, what if you're not sure? And she said, set her pen down and she said, don't do it. And that woman rushed me out like some kind of a back stairwell. And I got back in the car and and my boyfriend at the time said, wow, that was fast. And I thought, you are an idiot. I was so mad at that point. I was so angry. I felt so trapped. And I just wanted him to make the decision for us. I just I wanted that so bad, but I never voiced it. Sarah, I I just kept all of that stuff in and all of my resentment started to grow and you know, he was scared that if we had the child that he was going to lose me. And I knew in that moment if we don't have this child, You're gonna lose me. Mm, mm -hmm. So I waited. I waited until the very last moment. I was three months pregnant, and I thought, "Well, I guess we're doing this." And that was a defining moment in my life. From that point on, there was no turning back. There was no. There was nothing left. It's like a part of me died that day. just because that our child was made from so much love. like, And I couldn't help but believe in that love that created the child, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just went down a completely self-destructive... I am on a mission to destroy both myself and this man that I loved. And it got crazy after that. My... My life had no meaning, had no purpose, and my only purpose was destruction. So Mm -hmm. I did my best to destroy him. Uh, And then, uh, let's see, I ran away with a band (laughs) all the way to Seattle. We live in Washington. It's five Mm -hmm. hours away. And when he came and picked me up from the airport, I looked at him and I thought, I can't do this to him anymore. I, I'm i on a one-way ticket to God only knows where and I'm just going to keep dragging you along with me. So I ended the relationship that night and I'm not sure whether I did it just because it was a coward move. Like I'm going to dump you before you figure out who I really am mm-hmm. or if I did it out of love. I think there was, I think it was probably a combination of both. Mm-hmm. But life got really, really crazy after that. I, I thought there was no way that God was ever going to forgive me, and even if the God did forgive me, I would—I was never going to forgive myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's hard. And here's the here's the interesting thing about here's the interesting thing about that Sarah. Like I am really really open about my abortion because almost every woman I have ever shared it with guess what they tell me? Oh Angie, me too. Mm-hmm. And they've never spoken to not even one other soul about it. Their whole lives. And some women have been carrying it around for 20, 30 years, and they've never said a word to anybody because they're so afraid of people judging them. Yeah.
0: hmm Yeah, you're so right. You know, uh, well, you know that I, me too. Um, <laughs> I, I can say me yeah. too. Uh, and I really yeah. didn't talk about it until my book came out. Um, I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth about whether or not to include that in the book. Um, I'm sure. And it was this thing of, I have to like, I have to include this. Otherwise I'm not really walking in the truth that I'm asking other people to walk in. And so it would, that was the most difficult part for me. I had to, you know, have a conversation with my daughter before she read the book. Nobody my my closest friends didn't even know a wow. lot of them until they read my book. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's such a heavy thing. hmm To carry all by yourself. Mhm, it, it is really is yeah, yeah. there's just so much judgment and shame, shame, such heavy shame around yeah. it and and you when you say after that you felt like almost like you needed to punish yourself i I can yeah. identify with that too, mhm.
1: Secrets keep us sick. And not only that, anything kept in the darkness of shame. You know, that was the one thing that my book taught me was that I had so much shame and self-judgment towards Mm -hmm. myself for so many years and having to walk back through everything, realizing that I am about to tell the world every Going about me in great detail. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> oh, I'm wondering the same. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. it's good though. It's it's it, it's so freeing it is so freeing when you can come out the other side of that it's unexplainable but getting to that point i think oh my gosh it's just so hard yeah yes yeah yep yeah i remember there
1: was one night right in the middle of of writing this book and i just i couldn't take it anymore my husband walked through the door I did not say a word, Sarah. And I walked out the door and I went to a bar all, all by myself. i had been married for 10 years, gone to a bar by myself. <laughs> <laughs> My husband had no idea what was going on and I didn't either. I just needed anything. And so I, I went running back to old coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I ended up paying dearly. And so it it actually, rather than judging or condemning myself for that, it taught me a really good lesson that I have to walk through the pain of all of this if I'm going to heal. I yeah. can't just I can't run away. Um, so that was a really, really good lesson for
0: me.-hmm So powerful. So powerful, because I think most people try and run away. They do everything they can to not have to walk through that pain.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Okay, so I'm dying to know the middle part cuz you just said you were married, so you got to fill us in on 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 the middle part because you broke up with your boyfriend and then we need to know what happens after.
1: <laughs> so, I was 21 at that point in time and I spent Basically, the next five years, I shaved my head bald. Um, I did everything I could to destroy everything that was good in my life, whether it be friendships, any kind of relationships. Um, I got really, really, really heavy into the drug scene, so much so that I wasn't even dancing so much. I was more just selling drugs and just really in deep with, you know bad people a lot of bad people but there were some gems that I met along the way mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah oh, there were such gems that I met along the way um and then so I went to jail five times the following year uh and let's see where do I want to go with this bad relationship. After a bad relationship and then, you know, obviously not making good choices, selling drugs, going to jail. And the last time that I was in jail, every time I went to jail, I, you know, I I was in a bad relationship. I pushed my ex-boyfriend's car out into a a busy street in the middle of the night thinking I was going to get revenge. And... As soon as we were pulling out, a cop pulled in behind us. And I thought, oh, no. So I told everybody, no matter how much I beg, do not get me out of jail this time. A, I need to teach myself a lesson. B, if I if I don't stay here, I won't go to court. And I'll just wind up back here. And It really taught me a lot. Um, I saw that almost every woman in that jail was there because of domestic violence stuff. Mm. And I'm sure that drugs and alcohol might've played a part, but it was almost always a relationship that a dysfunctional relationship that got them to where they are. And I, I really learned some valuable lessons. Uh, mm-hmm. and I also just begged God, I begged God for forgiveness for my abortion. And he, here's the funny thing I think about forgiveness. Uh, the forgiveness was already so granted to me by God. I just could not forgive myself. You know, Mm -hmm. I think God, I think God had forgiven me before the world was even set into place. Uh, You know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And so, but I felt him, I felt him in that moment. I felt like he heard my prayer and I felt, I felt God technically for the first time uh, in that place. And so not that that changed any of my lifestyle or my behaviors. I just continued to go down my self destructive path. And, and it's funny, God started interrupting everything. Uh, you know, you think you make bad choices, there's consequences. You know, you sell drugs, you do illegal things, you go to jail. But guess what God started doing, Sarah? He started rescuing me from everything. Um, there was one time where we were getting pulled over and I literally out loud for the first time prayed like I had never prayed before. God, God, please, God, please, God, please. And we still got pulled over. Mm -hmm. But, and I, I honestly, I felt God feel my prayer in that moment. I knew without a doubt that he had heard that prayer. And that it was going to be okay. And honestly, you'll have to read the book for the for the full story. But yeah, yeah, yeah. God just started doing these crazy things in my life of saving me, saving me, saving me from the consequences even of my own actions. Every time I cried out for help, Sarah, He was always there immediately. Like, and it really started to show me, like. this God that people think is punishing, or this God that you know, you know punishes evildoers or, or whatever whatever it is in people's minds that they think God is, whether it's wrath or mm-hmm. punishment, like I kind of did, that's not who God is, and that's not who He was in my life.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it was a course of, I don't know three straight years where he just kept rescuing me and he just kept loving on me, you know, mm. uh, just pouring out more love. People talk about God's justice and I understand God's just as more love. Like people don't do things to hurt other people or they don't make bad choices when they know how loved they are. And so that's God's formula. Mm. Uh, it's always pouring out more love on people that don't know how loved they are. And I was one of those people and I didn't trust God and I didn't trust anybody. Uh, So he just kept moving me along and moving me along and started, you know, speaking to me, that quiet little whisper from within, you know, random things and, You Nobody know, and you know I'd moved from Spokane and I went to Montana because my life was just a mess here, and I thought okay i can I can have a fresh start in Montana, and I started dancing there, and of course, you know my lifestyle it follows me everywhere I go, uh, mm-hmm. and God was just always there, He was always faithful. There's a part of my book where I'm literally on the freeway in the middle of nowhere, getting picked up by a truck driver and it blows my mind because I think God was not in the middle of that freeway saying, Angie, you got yourself into this mess. You, you get yourself out of it. Like he was always there with his kindness.
0: So I guess we have to read your book to find out what happened on the freeway. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> oh now goodness. you have me hanging on the edge of my seat
1: <laughs> it's crazy it's literally crazy <laughs> you won't even believe it when you read it Sarah you will think oh my gosh it the only way this girl survived was that God had to have been with her every step of the way because that's the only way I could have survived the life I was living in mm-hmm. the the situations that I put myself in I mean, I put myself in such dangerous situations because like I said, curiosity, I'm always so curious about life and people and truth and the way things work. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. it was amazing. Yeah. It's an amazing story. I look yeah. at it and I think this is not really my story.
0: You know? <laughs> oh, I, I totally understand that. Or when you tell people <laughs> your story and they look at you like you're making that up. That can't be true. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we will all read your book, Redeeming Destiny, Dancing into Unexpected Truth. And I am going to, I will put the link to your book in the show notes, but just give us a, a quick, uh, summary about how you got to where you are now.
1: So after I spent the night under the freeway in Portland, Oregon, um, I honestly went to the bus station in Spokane the next day and I was waiting for my ride and a, an insane man came up and showed me, all of these, this whole portfolio of guns and this and that, and and then he asked me if I wanted to go get high, and it was the first time in my life, Sarah, that I said no, ever, because mm. mm. I knew that I was done. I knew that I wanted nothing to do with that life anymore. I had been, you know, I could have named the book "Scared Straight." <laughs> I should have <laughs> named the book "Scared Straight," mm. and then I moved. Montana, with a friend who at one time was my customer uh, at the club, and I was just allowed about eight months to heal to not have to work. Uh, You know, I started going to church, uh, and then and then God moved me. Somehow, He reconciled my parents and I through that time. Then Mm -hmm. I moved back home and got to know my dad again, him and my stepmom were still together at that time. And it only worked out there for a a few months. And then I moved in by myself and, you know, I stayed single for about four years afterwards because A, I didn't trust my my decision-making where men were concerned. Mm. And I just had so much baggage to unpack. And Mm -hmm. I worked at a casino as a rest, as a waitress and my busser, who is now my husband, who is also 13 years younger than me. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, go girl. (laughs) It's crazy.
1: (laughs) When the pastor married us, I was thinking, um, shouldn't you guys be concerned like this is this is weird, <laughs> no. but nobody nobody seemed to be as concerned about it as I was. Um, and so it's funny, you know, when we were dating, he said that he wanted to be a police officer when he grew up, essentially, and I thought, oh, I actually told him I said we're not going to work out. Like this isn't gonna work if that's what you want to be. Um, and so here we are, <laughs> ten years later, with three beautiful, beautiful, beautiful girls. Uh, he is a he was a police officer. Um, some really crazy stuff ha- happened in our lives about six months ago. Mm. So he is still. He's still pursuing that avenue because it's his only dream. It's the only thing he's ever wanted to be, but uh, we're still hopeful and we're still, we're still waiting. We're in the waiting period, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, my girls, I look at my girls, Sarah, and I think if there was only one reason to write that book, it was for these girls because before I wrote the book. And I had so much stuff going on, Sarah. I was a mess as a mom. I was angry still. I didn't have any idea how to be a mom because I didn't have a mom Mm -hmm. to teach me anything. And so, you know, it took my seven-year-old, she's eight now, but I finally looked at her one day and I saw the angst and the insecurity and the fear just taking over her from my anger and my rage. And... You know, I thought, no more. And so that has been a really long process for me. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're just you know, rewinding and trying to un- undo some of that damage because it was he was pretty abusive on my part. And, and and now she's flourishing and she's blossoming. and and we're on the on the road to healing her and my relationship. Mm-hmm. You know we had we've had to rebuild a ton of trust between us, and so mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah, she's been my greatest teacher. I love that, and everybody needs to read the whole story, obviously um,
1: it's a fun story, Sarah, yeah
0: <laughs> you know I mean? well, it is it's a fun story, you know that I love nothing more than I love vulnerability and being able to really, really, truly connect with people. And I don't think you can do that if you're not vulnerable, like if you don't put it out there. And so it's such a beautiful thing. And you keep referring to your own healing. But I think through your healing, you're helping other people to heal also. So thank you for that. It's beautiful. I hope so. Yeah.
1: Yes, I hope so.
0: Okay, so I'm going to ask you my questions that I ask all of my guests. Are you ready for those? I'm re- I'm ready. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so the first <laughs> question is Is what do you feel has been the most vital to your growth?
1: It's funny I had an answer for this. <laughs> <laughs> And now I don't. Uh, I I think that mere aspect. Um, you know, I think personal responsibility. I think that's huge for me. Mm-hmm. Personal responsibility for how I react, how I engage people, um, my personal growth. Like the less I judged myself, the less I I judge everybody else. Mm. Like, I honestly don't have opinions about myself anymore, so I don't have opinions about other people and the way they should or should not live their lives Uh, because we're all on our own path. We all have our separate journey, and it's a timing thing, and writing that book really helped me to lay down a lot of shame and a lot of self judgment. And yeah, so that has probably been my biggest growth.
0: Yeah, I love that. That needs to be memed. The less I judged myself, the less I judged everyone else. We need to make that one into. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's powerful. It's mm-hmm. good. Okay, what do you want to make sure that people know walking away from? this podcast, if if they just walk away with one thing, what is it that you, you want them to know?
1: One thing I would want people to know. Can I make it two things?
0: Yes. I can never okay. choose one either. <laughs> uh,
1: okay. <laughs> First one would be to get curious. So when I say that, I think get curious about yourself, why you do what you do. Get curious about other people who think differently and feel differently and see the world differently. And we can learn so much from each other Mm -hmm. Uh, if we would just get curious about the way other people live their lives, like curiosity has been my one defining thing you know yeah it's led me down roads of crazy madness but it's also led me into deep deep waters of goodness and kindness and love towards everyone you know even people that I really don't understand Uh, Mm -hmm. so if I'm curious I will want to I will want to understand them and so bridging that gap just bridging that gap. And Mm. the God is always love, only love, all the time. Like, Mm. that's the big thing, you know? Yeah. So so much compassion. Um, You know, I, I think oftentimes we as Christians, And I'll I'll include myself because I am a Christian, obviously. (laughs) Sometimes I don't like to admit it, but (laughs) we have painted God in a very unbecoming light. Like, you know, religion is about following rules and and following A, B, C, D and obedience. And that's not it at all. Like. It's so not it. Like Mm -hmm. he is so kind and so compassionate and so beyond anything we could ever imagine. Mm. um, As far as love goes, you know, I don't think God has to punish us. I don't think that's, I don't think that's his formula at all. I think we do that enough on our own that he knows Mm. that we need love and we need kindness and we need compassion. So.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. I hope that, you know, the collective knowing is moving more that way. Do you know what I mean? Getting further away from all of the rules and all of the things that have to happen in order to receive love and, and more into the understanding that yeah. love is available always. And we don't have to be or do anything really to to receive that love.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely.
0: And don't you feel it,
1: Sarah? Don't you feel that it, it there's a shift happening where people are start, starting to wake up to that reality? Like, yes. Oh, mm-hmm. Of course, there's going to be resistance and and that kind of thing. But I I really feel like the world is just opening up to the possibility that God is good. And only good, you know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree.
1: And then he accepts us. He accepts right. us exactly as we are. Yes. You know? Yeah. Even in our anger, even in our rage, even in our worst moments, all of that, like we are completely loved even then, and especially then, because that's when we need love the most.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think that's when we're the closest to God is when we're being real. I think yes. it's it's where we meet God. It's not where I mean I mean, I, I know I never met God in all of the rules and the fear and, and all the things I thought I should be. I I never had a relationship with God in that place. So No. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, a, I honestly Okay. I can ooh go ahead.
0: Sorry, no,
1: go ahead. I've it. taken my my girls out of church just for the time being. Because their little minds are like sponges at this point in time and in any fear. I don't want them to ever feel like they have to be afraid of God or that they have to follow rules to be loved by God or to be accepted. Um, I want them to just be wildly unafraid, you know? Mm-hmm. So for the time being, mm-hmm. we're out of church, but boy, Jesus is huge in our home. Like
0: Right. Yeah. I'm
1: always talking about him. I'm always teaching my girls uh that they are secure in love no matter who they are, who they become, uh, or where their life takes them. Love is always with them.
0: Yes. So yeah. it's so interesting. I'm reading a book right now called Shameless. Oh. Um It's by, uh, Nadia Boltz Weber. I will look that up. Yeah. She's a pastor in Denver. Um, and she talks about how, uh, she said, you know, that she's telling this person's story and she said this person rejected religion, but held so tightly to Jesus. Um, I just was listening to that today that that's, that's a very real thing. And it's, something you can definitely do. <laughs> like it doesn't Absolutely. have to be, you know, all of those, the, the Jesus has to come with all of the other rules and yeah. So it's a good book. I, I'm, yeah. I'm liking it. it definitely rocks the the norm boat as far as religion goes. Yay! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we love rocking the boat. <laughs> yes, we do. We are boat rockers. It's amazing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love That's it. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Let our listeners know how to find you. Again, I'll have some stuff in the show notes, but let them know how they can connect with you the best place to find you, that kind of thing?
1: The best place to find me, my website is Angela B-U-C-H-E-R dot rcom I really like Instagram because it feels much nicer. If right. I could get rid of social media altogether and be face-to-face with people, that would be my jam, but either or Instagram or Facebook.
0: Okay thank you so so much for being here thank you for sharing your heart and your story and for your amazing vulnerability we all appreciate it so very much thanks sarah All right, my friends, what an awesome interview. We absolutely believe in the power of our stories and we are so very grateful to our guests who have the courage to speak their truth and share their heart experiences and light with all of us. If you want more of the Wee Podcast, make sure you head over to WeSpot.com where you can find all of our episodes as well as the We Spot blog. The WeSpot is your go-to spot for growth, connection, authenticity, and encouragement. You can also find us on social media. Head over to the we Spot Facebook and Instagram pages and get plugged in. You can also find me, Sarah Moneris, on my personal Facebook and Instagram pages as well. If you love the Wee Podcast, we would be thrilled for you to rate the podcast and write us a review. We want as many people as possible to be lifted up in growth and get connected with our community. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes dropping every single week. We can't wait to see you over on social media. Thank you for being here today. It means a lot to us. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, grow constantly, rise above, and always know you are not on this journey alone. See you next time.